with me in prayer. Oh God, our Father in heaven, we come tonight to praise your name for all that you have done for us. And Lord, through the gift of our precious Lord Jesus, we come on this Lord's day to worship you. And particularly would we draw the minds and the hearts of each one here tonight to that blessed message of Calvary as we view once again the sacredness of baptism. Lord, as we view this wonderful thing which takes place in the life of these here tonight, we are reminded of our own baptism and the time when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and placed upon him all the burden of our sin, trusting in him, having faith in him to cleanse it all from our lives. And now we view it again. And Lord, how we praise your name for it. You're so good to us. Now bless us, we pray, with your wonderful presence as we're gathered here in your name. Amen. Tonight we observe the initial ordinance of each true New Testament church, which is the ordinance of believers' baptism. We do so for a very simple but very fundamental reason, and that is that Jesus himself was baptized, was immersed by John the baptizer in the Jordan River to signify the very beginnings of his public ministry. And he commanded his disciples that they should go forth into all the world, teaching, preaching, winning, and then baptizing those who would accept him as the Lord and Master and Savior of their souls. This is a very beautiful and a very meaningful ordinance. It has been repeated for millions and millions of times across these 2,000 years. Always in the true New Testament sense, it has portrayed the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It portrays the death of the believer to the powers of sin, that he is washed by the blood of Jesus, and that he rises from the water, symbolic of his desire to walk and be known as a Christian. It is a symbol of that great event that will take place out there in God's own future, in that time when Jesus comes again, we have the picture in symbol of the glories of the resurrection of the blessed dead in Christ, whose body shall come forth to be united with the soul who has gone to be with Jesus. There's no saving merit in this water. This water cannot wash sin away. Baptism is not for the purpose of regeneration. The cleansing is by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. These who come tonight to be baptized do so because they have accepted Jesus as Savior. They are Christians. They are Christians before entering the water. For only Christians should be baptized in eloquent witness of what Jesus has done for them. They, in this act of obedience, give witness to you of their faith and what they believe, and they declare that they want to be one with you. We who are members of this body of baptized believers banded together to carry out the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a very real sense, each of you 
The members of this fellowship are with me here in this water. For we receive these, our brothers and sisters in Christ, into our fellowship with joy. Now let us pray. Our Father, there is happiness again in giving testimony to the world of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We rejoice, Father, in these who know the joy of their salvation, and we ask that as they are here baptized in obedience to your command, that there will be joy in their heart and that all who share in this hour might indeed come to a renewal of our own Christian faith. And Lord, we pray that if any look upon this scene who have never ever trusted Jesus as their Savior, we pray that your Holy Spirit might use this moment to do his perfect work of conviction and of teaching and of leading to Jesus. This is our prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Savior, and in accordance with your desire to follow his example in baptism, I do now baptize thee, my little sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are baptized with Christ, like unto death, raised to walk in a picture of the newness of life. Jesus, when he was baptized, came up straightway out of the waters. upon your public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to the command of my Lord and Savior and in accordance with your desire to follow his example in believers baptism I do now baptize thee my sister in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen we are baptized with Christ like unto death Raised to walk in a picture of the newness of life. For Jesus, when he was baptized, came up straightway out of the waters.
Ray Olam. Ray, upon your public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in obedience to the command of my Lord and Savior, and in accordance with your desire to follow his example in baptism, I do now baptize thee, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are baptized with Christ, like unto death. Raised to walk in a picture of the newness of life. For Jesus, when he was baptized, came up straightway out of the waters. profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to the command of my Lord and Savior and in accordance with your desire to follow his example in baptism I do now baptize thee my brother in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen we are baptized with Christ like unto death Raised to walk in a picture of the newness of life. For Jesus, when he was baptized, came up straightway out of the waters. Let us pray. We ask, Father, that these who have followed the example of Jesus in baptism might with all their lives and all their being be a constant witness to the saving power of your Son. We pray, Heavenly Father, that all we say and all we do would honor you and please you this night. We rejoice in your blessings and in every evidence of your presence. And now, Father, Speak to our hearts in every and any way we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
269. 269. Wonderful, wonderful song on security. And I'm just sorry there's not more singing out in front of me, but I believe the good group behind me, we still make it really ring. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm going to ask you to stand to sing.
We'd like to welcome all those who visit with us tonight. It's always a joy, a real pleasure to have you who uh, do visit with us to worship in the services with us. And so we'd like to ask all of our members if they won't stand right now and leave our guest as our honored guest and they may remain seated. Good, now look around you and you see several that are seated. If you'll reach over and uh, shake their hand, give them a word of welcome and greeting on behalf of the church. The uh, deacons are coming up the aisle there and they have a visitor's card and they'll give you one. We ask that you take it, fill it out and drop it in the offering plate a little later in the service so that we'll have a record of your visit, can share with you by a written word, our appreciation, can be praying for you too. And we do appreciate so much your being with us. Now we trust we'll be a blessing to you as you are to us as we worship the Lord. Thank you, each and every one. Brother Dave Cornett has our church training report. The last two Sunday evenings, we had 360 in church training. We beat that by one tonight. 361. Our average is going to be pretty easy to figure for you CPAs. So uh, we, did, we did have 361 in church training this evening. We welcome 19 visitors. Again, we, we welcome you. We hope you'll come back and join with us again next Sunday evening. We would like to recognize one group that began a special church leader training study this evening, uh, led by Brother Buddy, Buddy Green. There were 11 in this group, and they will be meeting for the next 15 weeks to develop leadership skills and hopefully to be able to equip themselves to move in places of leadership in the future in our church. We hope you'll be praying with them. And even now, if you're interested in joining such a group, if you would let me know, or Brother Buddy Green, or Brother Norman, I think there's still room for you to come and join with us. I'd like for you to mark one date on your calendar uh, to be thinking about in the weeks ahead. Valentine's Day is almost here. We will have a Valentine's banquet this year. In fact, we'll have two. On Friday evening, February the 15th, isn't it, Jackie? The day after Valentine's Day, uh, we will have two banquets simultaneously here at our church. The, the, the time and program and so forth will be announced later. But we ask you to mark this on your calendar, one banquet for our youth, our young people, and the other for adults and, and everybody else in one big category. So mark your calendars for that date now. Thank you. Two brief announcements. One, if you have not already brought your paper to the RA Paper Drive, let me urge you to do so. Uh, some of you have already looked at the big container and mouths fly open because it is so large, but uh, we agree to it. It's also rapidly filling up. So if you have paper that you can uh, bring, do bring it. Uh, the the uh, container will be out there, as I understand it, all this week so that it can be filled. Then one other announcement. Tomorrow and Tuesday at uh, Nashville at the uh, uh, Belmont Heights Baptist Church, our Tennessee Baptist Convention Annual Evangelism Conference will be conducted. And some of our men are coming up on Tuesday night for the uh, Layman's Night program. And if you are here and would like to go, if you would contact uh, Brother Mac McCarley, uh, he will uh, let you know where to meet, what time, and so forth as the men get together to come up there and uh, to have a great time in the Lord on this special night uh, with Halen Wilder singing and uh, Brother Grady Wilson of the Billy Graham Crusade and uh, who's the other preacher? I've forgotten. Now. Stephen, Stephen Wright, right. So it's going to be a great time in the Lord and you'll uh, want to be a part of it, I'm sure. We invite you and urge you to come and be a part of it. Brother Al asked me about the calendar up here. Uh, you didn't ask about it. <laughs> I'll just leave it there then. I'm crazy. 
Somebody said they overheard Brother Ralph saying he got a new watch in, in Switzerland and he couldn't tell the time on it because when he pulled his sleeve back, all he could see was the date. And somebody was afraid maybe he couldn't just read a clock up here, so there's a calendar beside it for him. That's just another symbol, Pastor, we love you. Really. All right. 212 is our offertory hymn tonight, and as we stand to sing, our brethren will prepare to receive our evening tithes and offerings. 212, Love Lifted Me. Let's stand. For a moment, let's exclude the Lord Jesus Christ. In that earthly circle of friends or family, what one person has been more important to you than any other one person? You see, there is an extreme emphasis on the importance of what one person can mean in the life of some other person. In the fifth chapter of John's Gospel, there's a remarkable account of a man and something remarkable happened to him. Now, I want us to look at the story. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
the sheep market, a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Would thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, trying, straining, making an effort to get to the water, another always steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. There are literally a hundred marvelous texts for a hundred different sermons out of these nine verses. The emphasis of the message tonight is not upon the story as we have shared it in these nine verses, but rather to lift just one little phrase out of that seventh verse, where the impotent man answered Jesus with this word, Sir, I have no man. Sir, I have no one person who cares enough about me to help me get to the water. Sir, I am not important enough to anybody that they would stay by my side until the troubling of the waters and then help me be the first there. Sir, I don't have anybody. And Jesus, that marvelous friend of friends, Jesus did for that man what he had been waiting 38 years for somebody to do. 
to be interested in him and to help him. You know, the Bible is filled with thrilling and exciting adventure stories of the importance of one individual. It'd be a different world in which we live. It'd be a different kind of Bible that we read. If we didn't know about Joseph, a long time before the Egyptians had any concern for the, a possible famine in the land, a long time before the children of Israel had any concern about their long-time welfare, God knew what was going to be happening. And God shaped the events of life and molded a, a life that we know to be Joseph. The circumstances of Joseph's life are marked by tragedy at so many points, by disappointment at so many points, and at last seems to be a failure. But not so. For God had so circled it about in his plans that Joseph would be his instrument for the salvation, for the continuation of a race of people that God had selected to be his instrument. Joseph was going to be used of the Lord in ways that even he did not and could not realize. Imagine when he was sold by his own brothers as a slave. Imagine the misery and the discomforts and the disappointments of his life when he was lied about by Potiphar's wife. Imagine all the sorrows that he faced, but he was true to his God. And because of one man and the way that God used one man and the way one man let him use him, It was possible then for that nation to build its barns to store up the grain of those seven years of the plenteous harvest and to make preparation for the seven years of the drought. And because of that, that nation of Egypt became the breadbasket, the storehouse for that chosen family of people God had put his hand on in a very special way. You see, Joseph is a very important one, somebody. Important because he heard the plan of God for his life and important because he was willing to live within the plan of God. I wonder how many individuals could have really made a difference in the generation that has just concluded if they had been willing to listen and to act upon the directions of God. There were no doubt many who had no ear for God's voice, no interest or concern to be in the will of God or to do God's bidding as God wanted to bring some special blessing to the world. And so the world missed that blessing. 
And it could well be that God has great and marvelous plans for this generation and for somebody right in this very room to be the channel and the instrument, the one person who can make a difference in a vast and important way in this world. God does use people. Why can't he use you? God does do his work through people, and he will choose those who are willing to serve. Why not someone in this room to make such a mark for God that every generation that follows will call your name blessed. Moses was a man like that. Moses was one man, but oh, the difference that one man made. In a nation of people, God put his hand on that one man Moses, and he shaped him, and he trained him, and he brought him to that one point where he could use him in a very special and in a very particular way. But it was only because Moses was willing to be used and willing to be the leader of the people, willing to take whatever abuse must come, that God could use him. And so Moses stands as one in the history of mankind, as a giant, one man who put his mark on many men. You remember the story of that one little girl carried away as a slave? From the land of Israel, she was a slave over at Damascus. She had every reason to hate and to despise the Syrians. They had probably killed her parents. She probably had stood and seen the little village over there in Israel destroyed. And she was taken off and sold as a common piece of chattel. She had every right in the world to hate everything and anything about Syria. But that one little slave girl had compassion in her soul for her master. And she said to the wife of her master, there's a man down where I come from, a man of God, and he's a powerful man. And I just believe that if my master, Naaman, would go down to that man, he could be healed of his leprosy. God used that one little girl, and that one little girl was the means of the healing, for she was an intercessor. She could have let hatred for her enemy, hatred for her owner, 
grow in such a way that she would have said, I'm glad he's a leper. I hope he shrivels and dies in misery. But she had compassion. You see the difference that just one little girl made in the life of the people? I think about Esther. It is written of Esther that she came to the kingdom for just such a time as this. One person who possibly acting out of fear of the king would have refused to enter into his presence and not have interceded for her own people, but not caring what might happen to her personally and seeking to do that which she felt led of God to do. She went before her husband, the king, and pled for the safety of her people. One person. What a difference she made. Over in the New Testament, I read about a eunuch. A eunuch who was traveling along the highway, riding in a chariot, reading a scroll. And one person seeing it started running alongside that chariot, noticing that the eunuch was reading the scroll, and obviously it was the Old Testament scripture. Philip asked that Ethiopian eunuch, that black man, if he understood what he was reading. And he said, how can I, unless somebody interpret it for me? And Philip got up into the chariot, and he explained what the eunuch was reading. And there on that road, the black eunuch gave his heart to Jesus, his soul washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And he said, I'm a Christian. I want to be baptized. And they stopped the chariot, and he was baptized. One man, Philip. What a difference he made. On and on we go through Scripture, the stories, the examples, the illustrations, the marvelous accounts of the difference that one person can make. You see, this leads us to both the glory and the tragedy of the whole movement of Christianity. The glory of it, A.H. Newman, the great Baptist historian, tells us that in early Christianity, every artisan, Every soldier, every housewife, every slave who was a Christian considered it his personal privilege to be a link between the Savior and somebody else. So every time the stonemason was out there working on somebody's stone, he would have opportunity to say to him, Do you know about Jesus? And every time the sharecropper had opportunity to talk to the man who owned the land, he would have an opportunity. He'd make an opportunity to say, do you know about Jesus? Every time the water carrier 
would come and leave that load of water from the wineskin at the door of the housewife. The water carrier would say, by the way, do you know about Jesus? Why? It was a privilege to talk about Jesus. And that's the reason that in the first 500 years of the Christian era, that Christianity, like some great blanket, covered the earth. It was because each one became important to someone else. That's both the glory and the tragedy, Dr. Newman writes. The tragedy is when there started to develop that cleavage between the so-called clergy and laity, terms that are not New Testament. And the laity left it to the clergy to tell the story. The New Testament makes no such distinction. The New Testament says that everybody is important and every Christian can have the thrill and the joy and the privilege of being the most important person that somebody else knows. I don't know who you would name as the most important person you know. The most important person to you, personally and individually. But I would like for you to consider putting on your list the person who introduced you to Jesus. For what all else of life consists, it really doesn't make a lot of difference. You see, if you do not know Jesus, the scriptures put it this way. What is it gain? To gain, to have, to possess. What does it matter if the whole wide world is ours? But we miss the kingdom of God. We lose our soul. So you see, that person who prayed for you, and prayed that you would know Christ as your Savior, that person that opened the New Testament to you and introduced Jesus to you, that person who said, don't you think that now's the time? Aren't you ready to confess your sins, to turn from them in the acts of repentance, to open your heart and let Jesus do for you what he wants to do? Isn't now the time? That person, you see, opened up all eternity to you. And that person is surely the most important person in your life. You see, that makes, when you know Jesus, that makes mother and dad more important. When you know Jesus, that makes your husband or your wife more important. When you know Jesus, that makes your youngsters a lot more important. When you know Jesus, well, that makes that friend so much more important. The difference that one person can make 
is the difference between life and death, the difference between misery and happiness, the difference between heaven and hell, or oh, the importance of just one person. And how do we do that? How do we become important to somebody? Oh, God gives us a thousand different ways. The simple hand clasp of friendship that's genuine and real. A smile. An empathy. A spoken word. A telephone call. A quiet conversation over a cup of coffee. All the ways that God gives us to be the most important person in somebody's life. I cut a little clipping out, and with this I close. Entitled, It, it Can Happen Again. A boy gave his lunch to Jesus, and 5,000 men besides the women and the children were fed. Yep. It can happen again. A Sunday school teacher visited Dwight Moody in the shoe shop where he worked, and he spoke to him about Christ. And Moody became a world-renowned evangelist leading thousands to Christ. It can happen again. Hudson Taylor said yes unreservedly to God and more than 1,200 missionaries have gone forth to China under the banner of the China Inland Mission, which he founded. It can happen again. You are important. In the scheme of things, you're very important. And you can be the most important person in somebody's life, that somebody you love enough and care enough for to help them to the waters of faith in Jesus and surrender and trust. There's a sadness in my own soul, in the knowledge that in that awful day of judgment, for those who are not Christian, that there will be some people that I personally have had opportunity to talk to about Jesus, but did not. And there'll be some people who will be cast into an everlasting hell, separated from God. And their truthful testimony will be in that hour, no man cared for my soul. Our Father, 
The days go so very quickly. Life speeds by in such a hurry. Father, I thank you at this moment for that one who 39 years ago put his hand on my shoulder and said, Ralph, aren't you ready to become a Christian? Father, I thank you for every one who played a part in the winning of every person in this congregation to know you. Lord Jesus, forgive us our failures. Forgive us when we've left it to others. Forgive us, Father, when those sick in their sins have year after year after year seen us go about our business and we have not talked to them about Jesus. Father, stir in our midst. Fan the fires in our souls. Make compassion burn. Prepare us, Father, that we may be useful. Prepare us that in those special days that are before us, soul-winning, revival time, that we'll be important. Important to others and important to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.